Well, I've titled this morning's teaching um, Bad Christmas, Good Church um, in general. I have nothing against Christmas. Uh, that said, this year's Christmas was not great for us. So our Christmas did not struggle because of COVID. Some of you might have heard Katie and Bork last week when she described she and her family driving to the Quad Cities for their Christmas. They had all agreed to test, so when she got there, everybody tested. They were all surprised when both of her parents tested positive. Her family got back in the car and drove back here. We did not have that experience. Our holiday did not limp along because of understandable polarizing over politics. Um, our holiday was not challenged because of some relative who drank too much and things got a little awkward. The train of our Christmas derailed the first night that our oldest son and his wife and their two children um, came to our home. They arrived uh, a week before Christmas um, on the 16th um, because my daughter-in-law, they're in Chicago, my daughter-in-law is finishing a clerkship there and then they are going to move to um, Iowa City in August. And so they came here to close a house and our plan was to celebrate Christmas that weekend with them a week early. That first night at about two o'clock in the morning, we hear crying, 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 crying. Um, in the morning, we learned that two-year-old Jerry had been throwing up all night, um, that it was contagious stomach flu and not a once-and-done mysterious illness was confirmed a day later when four-year-old Madeline puked all over the brand-new Spider-Girl costume that Tom and I had just given her for Christmas. My son was next, and then his wife, then my daughter, then Tom and I. So with the few days that we had between that Christmas number one and Christmas number two, when we had a new set of guests arriving, I did what seemed to be 400 loads of laundry. I disinfected every surface. I um, paid for professional cleaning to Days after our first set of guests arrived, our son-in-law, Sean, started throwing up. Next was Tom's 85-year-old mother, who was throwing up. And finally, my son, Joshua, who we were talking to ER nurses till uh, late in the night. So for those of you who uh, want a number, that was a total of nine stomach flus many loads of laundry, lots of sleepless nights, and one arm cleanup because I just got my splinter cast off this week. Merry Christmas, Wassings. Um, just like that, Christmas was over. Tom and my gratitude prayer since then, every day is thank you, God, that we have not had to clean up chunks of regurgitated Christmas delight, and then we count the days and say that. So in the midst of our seriously derailed Christmas, where every well and not so well um, thought out plan was decimated, what actually was giving me hope and what I found myself thinking about um, and uh, giving me some ho uh, hope 
was the idea of church, both the experience of being at church and the reality of what it means to be part of a Jesus-centered community. So what I want to talk about in this post-Christmas and in the throes of COVID uh, time is why church and in particular, why this church? Like, why is that what stood out to me when things were particularly gloomy for us um, this past December? And specifically, with all you and I can do with our time and with our money, why be part? Why invest in a faith community centered around God? So some of you were here for our Christmas Eve service. It was the first time we were packed out with standing room only uh, since the onset of COVID. That said, it was in the 60s outside, um, so there were no magical snowflakes as we were singing Silent Night, but still I knew that I was celebrating Christmas with people who've made similar commitments to find our way together to embrace mystery together, to be marvelously uncertain together, to not have to pretend together. So this morning, after my not great Christmas, that's what I'm doing. I'm asking, why church? Why this church? With our emphasis on inclusion and justice, where we believe if it's not good news for everyone, it's not good news for anyone. And our scripture this morning comes from early in the book of Acts, we have this newly formed band of Jesus followers. They're together and the loss of their leader. Um, but also, this is post-Pentecost, uh, so the grand pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So they're also now in their meaning-making. What does it look like to go forward? What does it look like to be this community together, to enact what Jesus uh, taught us? Um, they are expanding their understanding of God. God is suddenly more mysterious, more powerful, more inclusive, more generous than they had imagined. With every moment, their worldview is expanding. And if you read the book of Acts, from the beginning to the end, the theme of the book is expansion. You go from Jerusalem to Rome, from Jew to Gentile, from restriction to liberation. So we're reading early in Acts, starting um, in chapter 2, verse 42. They, so this group of Jesus followers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they're growing now, right, in their understanding of God, what it means to be faithful together. They're eating together, they're hanging out, they're doing life. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. And as a community, they're beginning to see God, to experience and to name God's activity. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possession to give to anyone who had need. I think that's probably my favorite part, that they were aware from the beginning that no one would go without. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
So clearly, this is a good moment um, and time for the early Jesus followers. And honestly, we could stop here because it's this lovely picture of this community of early followers of Jesus finding their way. But it's like the author turns in the first draft what he has so far to his editor. And the editor says something like, you know, this is lovely, but you're kind of telling and not showing. Like, bring this home for us. Give us an example. And so it goes on. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. So they're doing what lots of folks from a lot of religions do in the ancient world and today. There's prescribed times of prayer or fixed hour prayer. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I don't have but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, he began to walk, then he went with them into the temple court, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. So they encounter, Peter and John encounter a beggar who um, we know was lame from birth. People who were physically disabled or deformed were not uh, elevated to the top of the food chain in the ancient world. This is a quote from Aristotle, um, which granted is a couple hundred years earlier, but the sentiment had not changed uh, much in the ancient Greco-Roman world. As to the exposure of children, let there be a law that no deformed child shall live. Peter and John made eye contact with the man. In other words, they're saying to him, like, we acknowledge your personhood. We are looking at you, and you're looking at us. They're offering dignity to a fellow human who's been denied. By now, they have seen Jesus for three years and how Jesus responds to people in need. They have watched Jesus heal people and deliver people. They have practiced again and again what they have witnessed from Jesus. I remember the first time um, that my family went to Mazatlan, uh, Mexico, to do medical missions under the leadership of Bill and Katie Iverson. And I remember a small group of us gathered that first day. We were all nervous. We hadn't done it before, and we're standing together, and we're, prayer, uh, and we're praying, and we're listening. Does God have anything for us? And somebody uh, read the scripture from Acts. Silver and gold I don't have, 
but what I do have, I give to you. And we heard this as an invitation from God to extend mercy to our neighbors every way we could to take anything that God had given to us and give it away. So the lame man is healed immediately, runs into synagogue, is jumping for joy. People in the synagogue are freaked out. They're amazed, like, how do they uh, make meaning of this, this ever-expanding understanding of the mercy of God? So with this story as our backdrop, I want to say why I love church, why I love this community, people in this room, people online, people who call sanctuary their home. So I've got three reasons that I'm going to share. The first one is this, being part of a faith community makes us less narcissistic. Being part of a faith community makes us less narcissistic. Early in the story of Israel, the scripture says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. I don't know all that God was seeing at that moment. I doubt that every single thought of every single human on the planet was evil all the time. But I do know that it is swimming upstream to move beyond our own self-centeredness. I earn money and I want it for me and I want it for my family. I have free time and I want to do with it what I want to do with it. Peter and John and the early followers of Jesus have purpose and mission that goes beyond themselves. Following Jesus is an invitation to decenter ourselves and to center God, right? I am no longer the center of my own world. My good friend Charles Park, uh, a church in Manhattan, would say we're invited to spread heaven. He'd always say, wherever we go, God invites us to spread heaven. Our mission is love. We are always asking the question, what does it mean to love the other? What does it mean to love our neighbor? We are constantly asking, who is our neighbor? When we live this out in practical ways, for us it means partnering with local organizations. It can mean volunteering, serving on school boards, working to create more just systems, on and on and on. I broke my arm a few weeks ago, um, and from day one, people offered to help me. People drove me places. One friend brought me a ton of chopped vegetables because I live on vegetables, and every time I'd take our knife and try to one-handedly cut a carrot, they'd be flying all over the kitchen, and I think they thought I was a little dangerous. Um, people texted me all the time to see what can we do to help to make your life easier. During that same time, we were getting so many calls of people who were having COVID and quarantining, and we were able to bring them food, which generally meant I offered and Tom did the work. Throughout our life as a faith community, we've supported each other through sickness and death. I mean, this community walked me through both of my parents dying, through breakups, through divorces, through mental health crises, through financial crises, on and on and on. Likewise, I want to give money because I want a constant reminder that nothing actually belongs to me. I need help remembering that every good and perfect gift comes from God. 
I give money because it helps me remember that people all over the world are also created in the image of God and also deserving of God's care and love. I think we underestimate how difficult it is. Like the process of decentering ourselves and of centering God. I've been listening to a book um, that someone recommended in our community um, for the past couple weeks, and it's called Living Buddha, Living Christ. I was mentioning it to David. I said, yeah, I'm reading this book called Living Buddha, Living Christ. He said, yeah, what about it? I read it in college. So apparently, <laughs> I am a little bit late, um, but it's by a Buddhist monk called Thich Nhat Hanh, and actually I've, I've enjoyed it a lot as a contemplative read. But the author, this, this lovely uh, Buddhist monk, um, talks about Jesus and talks about scripture um, as a Buddhist, and then he brings you into some of the tenets of Buddhism um, as he understands it. In any case, he has this one sentence that's, that says this. He's asking, is it possible, so this is a quote, for an apostolic ministry to go together with a contemplative life? So what he's actually asking is, is it possible to engage in life? And so all that that would mean for, for you and me to, to work, to be social, to raise kids, to volunteer, and still live in a space that's connected uh, to God. Can we live in this world and decenter ourselves is what he's asking, and here's what he says. He says in both Buddhist and Christian circles, the answer is yes, it's possible but it's not easy. To succeed, we need support, and the most important support is the presence of others who are capable of living the contemplative life while doing the work that needs to be done. In other words, he's saying, this endeavor of living life while centering Jesus works in a community that actively and intentionally supports it. Okay, number two, being part of a faith community offers the chance to create what some theologians uh, describe as an alternative community, an alternative community. So we get to create or encourage a way of living that reflects our values of inclusion, of love, of compassion, of justice, of generosity. This is exactly what the early church was creating. The Roman Empire had their way of doing things. And their Jewish brothers and sisters who had not made decisions to follow Jesus had their way of doing things. And these new disciples of Christ were forming communities that reflected and acted their understanding of what Jesus did. Their living lives trying to uh, emulate Jesus. And as faith community, we get to decide together what that looks like here in Johnson County and Lynn County, who it privileges, who it benefits. We live in a capitalist world where amassing the most is the name of the game, working hard and harder and harder and longer and longer and longer and more and more hours. A friend of mine recently told me about a book that's uh, really good um, that critiques 
typical time management books, and it's asking deeper, more philosophical questions about how we spend our time, how we make the decisions that we make. And we are always asking those questions at Sanctuary, uh, always doing deeper philosophical questions. Um, uh, how uh, do we, as a community, live out what Scripture says? How are we in the world, in this world, and yet not of it? How do we use our time, spend our time on behalf of others? How do we not buy into the values around us that are pressing in on us all the time? As individuals, we're encouraged to figure out our own rhythms, our own way of doing life. Some people create what's called rules of life. And I love this idea. The first example of a Christian rule came a few hundred years after Jesus from the desert mothers and fathers, mystics who were living out in the desert um, in Egypt. The most well-known rule came 1,500 years ago from Saint Benedict, was created to help his community of monks, monks translate their faith into habits and rhythms of their shared daily life. I was talking to uh, one of my kids recently, and he said, Mom, I think I want to do this. I think me and, and his wife, um, I think we want to create a rule for our families that I think it's too hard to start buying into everything around me and all the pulls and the pulls from work and the more, 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 and maybe we should take this opportunity and that opportunity. I think we just need some guiding principles to help us know what to say yes to and what to say no to as we live this thing out. So whether or not we have an actual rule of life that is guiding us, we are invited to live intentionally in ways that enact our values, work with our personalities and temperaments. Our lives should look different. It's like, I don't mean they should look different from every other person in the world, but it is important to remember what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Our goal is not trying to live well, embracing the values of culture. We are trying to live peaceably, loving God and loving neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Loving God and loving neighbor is an alternative community. Like if we could actually get that down, we are an alternative community. And finally, uh, number three, being part of a faith community allows us to give and to receive the mercies of God. Peter and John bring God's mercies to a person who has been lame for life, Scripture said. Being followers of Jesus, we can understand this in two ways. One is that we as a community and as individuals are invited to God to bring healing everywhere we go, all the time, in whatever ways we are able. We intentionally um, give dignity to every human we encounter. We live lives that respect creation. We participate in efforts to continually bring healing to our planet. But we also humbly recognize the ways in which we are lame. Our own physical, emotional, mental challenges and limitations. 
We understand that being in a community of Jesus followers means that our friends look us in the eye, that our brothers and sisters help us walk when we can't get up or chop vegetables, that we can freely live in the reality of our own lives, of our limitations, of our blemishes, and do it as part of a healing community. So I'll just close with this. When I say in the midst of our less than desirable Christmas, I thought about church. I want to be clear to say this was not an indictment against my family. Every minute, um, especially the ones where no one is heaving over the toilet with my family, is glorious. They are the miracles of our life. It's just that in a very real way. Our faith communities can become the stabilizing center space where we are continually reminded that God, the God of this universe, the God who we come to worship on Sundays, that God is real, that worshiping God together is actually a gift that we have been given, that each one of us, that every one of you is a gift that every breath we take is a gift, that mission and purpose is a gift, that we are not, thank God, the center of our own lives, that how we live our life is a choice. Amen.